When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, this is Trey Parker. And this is Matt Stone. And you're listening to the Pantheon Network. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Season 6, Episode 2 of Music Is Not a Genre, MXG. Almost had that there. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening. As you know, if you tuned in to Episode 1, no pitch at the beginning. I got a little pitch commercial in the middle now that I'm just going to run. So we're going to get right into the topic. The topic this week is Beck, the Megaclectic Musical Amalgamist. And yeah, I worked hard on that subtitle. So, you know, pretty proud of it. Uh, so the subtitle, I, I'll tell you why I picked it. And I think you could kind of guess. But the first reason is there are two words in there that get flagged by the, you know, grammar police of my software here of Word. Amalgamist is one. Other people have used that for various reasons. There's actually even um, at least one music artist with that name, the Amalgamist, which is cool. Megaclectic, I sort of found a trace of it on one website in the entire known universe, but not really and not used kind of that way. So I'm going to sort of claim that I coined it or at least half coined it. And why did I do that? Okay, well, it's Beck. Right. If you know anything about Beck, if you followed Beck's career at all, you know that he doesn't like to stay in one lane. But he also doesn't necessarily other, you know, other than here or there, like to jump from one extreme to another. He does do sort of his either ors, but that's a whole different thing. And we'll talk about that when we do the discography and some other things. But he likes to amalgamate. He likes to pull things together and create a new sound. He likes he likes to uh and and the reason I love that word is because to me it doesn't just mean the combining of things and even though that's what it means I think that it implies the combining of things that you wouldn't readily think should be combined. And that is that is Beck all over. And then the mega eclectic, I mean he's super eclectic. He pulls from eclectic sources. So mega, obviously. So that's where the subtitle comes from. Uh, I hope you enjoy that. Why am I doing Beck at all? Well, first of all, this has been a long time coming. Uh, I had Beck on the list, I believe, at the end of season four. And I went through all of season five staring at his name, thinking, how am I going to do this? And then finally, it hit me. Because why? Well, so you see this new setup, right? I have a I have a wonderful partner 
in in uh, in work and life, Catherine, who has initiated this new setup for this new season. If you're just listening, the audio is 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 something I'm doing new as well, and hopefully you're enjoying the better quality there. But go to YouTube.com/slash App Music is not a genre and watch the videos because that's that's Catherine's work, and. So in order to make this work, and because she's partnering with me, and it's not just a one-person one show now, we're batch cooking. We're, we're doing more than one episode at a time. Uh, we're going to be doing two today, and then a, another two or four in a couple of weeks, and then that kind of a thing, so that both of our schedules mesh. And so I was like, I need to write two full episodes. I need to write and research and listen for two full episodes. And if I'm not, if I'm ever going to do Beck, this would be the time to do it. His name just jumped out at me. So I'm like, this is it. I got to do it. And the other reason I'm doing uh, Beck, I mean, if, if that's a, if that's a reason at all is, well, there's two, one Beck deserves the spotlight, uh, been around for, you know, over 30 years and has done amazing work and consistent work and has put out great albums in, uh, you know, four, three different decades now, and coming up on a fourth, because there's a new album coming, is what I've heard. But also, and this is why I've been avoiding Beck, if there has been any artist who wreck, my band Wreck, R-E-C, wreckarea.bandcamp.com, has been consistently compared to, it has been Beck. There have been others, I've heard Foo Fighters, I've heard Beatles, I've heard, you know, uh, I like to compare them to the Wombats, which I'll be doing an episode on the Wombats later on this season because I'm going to see them live finally. But Beck is the one where if you asked a hundred people who have listened to this, critics, non-critics, I would say the more of them would say Beck than some other artist. And that's a little daunting. Because in a way, then, he's been my doppelganger. And what I contend is we are sort of the same. Uh, we, we, we come from, not the same in terms of sound, but we come from the same type of influences. And we've listened to some of the same things. Not Certainly not all. We don't have similar voices at all. But the way I like to produce things is very amalgamated as well. And I'm sure there are other, um, you know, esoteric and surface reasons why, you know, uh, people compare uh, Rec or my music to Beck. But that's where I think that comes in. And at the end, we'll talk more about that. So what I'm going to do for this episode is a history, discography, uh, and then conclusions and a comparison to see where the two of us line up, which I think is worth doing. And then the featured song, of course. And then, yes, don't forget this new feature in season six, the M extra, which is the exclusive Patreon video at patreon.com slash music is not a genre where for every single episode, I do something extra. And for this episode, it's a real treat. Let's just say it involves a guitar and we'll talk about it later. But if you want to see it, it's a, it's a much, much shorter video bonus mini video that I'm calling M extra. Go to patreon.com slash music is not a genre. So Beck, born in 1970, we're almost the same age. We're not that far apart in age. He was raised in L.A. His original name was Beck, B-E-K, David Campbell, named after his father, David Campbell, 
Beck David Campbell, who uh, is a Canadian composer and uh, collaborator. He's worked with so many artists. He's done a lot of soundtracks and all. And uh, he himself, David Campbell, has had very eclectic interests. And I think that sort of plays into why Beck is so eclectic, among among other things. And it shows uh, in David Campbell's compositions. Uh, if you just even look at descriptions of the things he's composed, it's not a coincidence, right, that his son shows the same eclecticism. And, and, it, and uh, it may explain why he and I are often compared, because I grew up in a household with a father who is a musician who also have very eclectic musical interests. So I think that that's... And yet... Slightly different uh, version of eclectic, which is why we are slightly different. And again, we'll kind of go into more of that once my brain wakes up as I continue to talk. His mom is Bibby Hansen. Uh, I believe it's pronounced that way, which is where he got his last name changed. So Beck Hansen, spelled H-A-N-S-E-N. Uh, his maternal grandmother's Jewish, and he was raised celebrating the Jewish holiday. So when recently, at least more recently, when people have asked him, are you a Scientologist like your father? He has disavowed that. He might have been at one point. I don't know. But his claim is he grew up Jewish. He considers himself more Jewish than anything else. Bibby is a visual artist, performance artist, actor, and musician. And her dad was a pioneer of the Fluxus movement. And the key point here being that that, uh, Beck had a dual kind of, I would say more than dual. He had a music, performance art, and visual art upbringing between his two parents. And all of that has played into his work. And I've I've noticed a a little bit of a uh, thing in music where there are... Artists who studied visual arts, who were super interested in visual arts, who were visual artists themselves, who then go on to be successful musicians. And to me, I feel like their music has almost uh, an outsider's point of view where they're taking this observation as if they're seeing the music rather than hearing it and say, this is the picture I want to paint. And you can talk about Lennon, McCartney, both visual artists, Jagger, you know, art school, uh, Fabrizio Moretti from uh, The Strokes, Paul Stanley from Kiss, talk about a visual band, Tony Bennett, Bob Dylan, uh, David Bowie, big time, uh, Freddie Mercury at a visual arts background, Joni Mitchell, Miles Davis, Stevie Nicks, so many others. And when you think of them, they don't have a lot in common, maybe musically, but one thing they do have in common, many of them, at least, if not all, they kind of take uh, a, a, a you know sky view of the music that they're doing. I think of somebody like Bowie. And say, oh, I want to do it this way this time. And this is the picture I'm painting. And I'm saying this because I believe that's how Beck approaches some of his music. And he does sort of have a back and forth thing. And we'll talk about that in the discography. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Uh, and so Beck was mostly into folk and hip hop, although he did grow up in a uh, Latinx area. So he has some of that, too. And he's, you know, shown some of that in some of the work he's done. Uh, and he certainly grew up in a household and with an aesthetic of, um, you know, being deliberately weird, of deliberately breaking boundaries, of uh, adding performance art uh, into his performances pretty much from the get-go, almost making uh, the music kind of a function of the performance art instead of vice versa, although that would sort of, the, the emphasis would switch later on. And uh, disjointed lyrics, like almost as if, I, I call it the stream of nothingness, where it's like you would put a bunch of lyrics in a hat, like just strips of paper, and then pull them out, which I believe... David Bowie said that he did once. Uh, Brian Eno talks about that kind of randomness and happenstance, uh, especially with oblique strategies and all of that. And I think uh, I won't say that that's what Beck does, but I believe that his stream in his head allows, uh, you know, images and then words to pop up randomly. And then he puts them together and creates either some kind of meaning or deliberately non-meaning. And that's often up to us to decide what that is. Uh, his his music also shows that kind of faux country folksy sheeny patina that has often come out of the L.A. area, especially since the Laurel Canyon days and the band and other people who, you know, uh, even the even before then and the mamas and the papas where it was kind of putting on this air of, um, you know, middle of the country folksiness, but but with a sheen to it that can that really could only be. LA and he even did that thing where he moved to the to New York you know when he was young and and kind of hit the village and even though it was a very different scene then there was something in the 80s going on called the anti-folk movement where they were deliberately kind of busting cliches and expectations of folk you know which eventually became like neo-folk and freak folk and all that stuff and see he came in at the tail end of that but he's utilized a ton of that and certainly in his first couple of albums, uh, he, he got a little bit more traditional as he went on. But from the get-go, he melded folk and country blues with hip-hop from the very beginning. Uh, way earlier than people like Everlast from House of Pain, you know, who did the kind of acoustic hip-hop thing and certainly a bunch of others. Uh, you could think of Arrested Development in that way where they had that kind of country feel to the hip-hop that they were doing. Uh, now, of course... That pigeonholed him for a stretch when Loser hit big. But 
what's great about being pigeonholed as a weirdo is it gives, still gives you a lot of freedom. It doesn't mean that the audience will go along with you if you if you spread your wings and go all over the place, but it does mean that you have a little bit more leeway in terms of oh well you know he's he only does you know pop music or he only does rock music or whatever it is that's very confining from the beginning uh you know if you knew more about beck than just loser you could tell that he was already going into a bunch of different places very reminiscent of like the flaming lips throughout their career kind of creating music with largely accessible elements but mixing them up in a way that's kind of odd and new and unexpected and always having some level of like experimentation and unpredictability. And that served him really well when the backlash happened after loser, which was I think 94, uh, you know, and he again disavowed that he was, you know, the epitome of a slacker poser because why it takes a lot of work to get to that level of, of sounding like you don't care but still doing well. It take that takes a lot of work and I've done a few songs like that. It then it's and you can't actually be a slacker to accomplish it well and he's certainly somebody who's constantly constantly working and innovating. So, you know, now when when he hit that big, you know, good, that was uh on his third album. We'll talk about that. Uh he kind of it kind of shocked him what was he going to do? What would audiences expect? And rather than try to recreate that, he deliberately, deliberately bucked expectations. And, you know, because he still had that freedom or gave himself that freedom, he was able to throw more performance art back into his work and and really confuse audiences for quite a while. It was just something that he said about what he did during that, he had done during that period uh, until he kind of, reform the sound that he wanted on his next album, which was his fourth album, which was Odelay. And that's really what made him bigger is that he said, well, I'm not going to recreate this, this hit. I'm going to do something, if not completely different, then I'm going to take it to the next step. But then there were times where he did do things differently or stripped a bunch of things away or added a bunch of things. And there was that uh, there has been that back and forth with his recordings uh, up to a point anyway. And it's interesting that uh, performance arts elements, anti-folk, the whole, uh, you know, it's not so much trash the old regime, but kind of reimagine it and break it out of its constraints and then coupled with not giving a fuck, you know, it, it's so that that attitude is basically what came to define the 90s. And of course, being a child of the 70s and 80s, the way he was and the way the way I was and with so many of the grunge stars and the other 90s stars, even hip hop stars, we all had that same kind of attitude, which is what defines kind of Gen X in the 90s. And so it was more just a coincidence of timing and generation than anything else. And it was up to all of those artists to decide, well, did they want to carry that through the rest of their career, which almost none of them did, or did they want to evolve and move on to other things? And so he used things like pastiche to expand his stylistic range. And that's what created the masterpiece, Odelay. And for those of you just listening, I do have my little pattern diorama here of six CDs of Bex that I own, which is less than half of what he's put out. But those are the ones that I bought. Those are the ones I have. And we'll talk about them. So so why don't we do that now? 
the discography. Uh, I know some of his work really well, and I kn- and I knew other of his work not at all, really, until recently when I listened through to everything, even the things that I had you know known from before. And uh, you'll see that when I talk about these. So 1993 released an album on an indie label called Golden Feelings. And this is what I'll say. This was his period of not knowing, you know, exactly where he wanted to go, I think. And so he was allowing the experimentation to just go everywhere. And this is what I think of experimentation. It's like in science. Most experimentation is for a purpose. You are experimenting on on a specific thing in order to achieve a result, whether it's to prove a theorem or, or an axiom, whatever, or disprove it. That's most experimentation. Now, there's some experimentation where you're like, it's the, I call it the sandbox, where you're in there purposely doing a bunch of weird different things, not even knowing what a result might be until you start to see one or two things kind of take shape and you're like, oh, okay, now I can use this for some, something more concrete and kind of experiment again to a purpose. So to me, even that sandbox eventually leads to that. And so I think uh, macro, that's Beck's career, especially the earliest part of it was sandbox first then uh, honing it down to there's a purpose I'm achieving here and then experimenting and either achieving that purpose or deliberately bucking that purpose, whatever, whatever it is. And that to me is, I think, I think experimentation is worthy in general, but putting out your experimentation, listen, every, everybody should release everything they do. I don't think they should prejudge it because there's an audience for everything, but I do believe that the more successful music comes from understanding that the experimentation was to achieve a purpose. I mean, if, even if you think of people like Steve Reich and minimalism and all that stuff, you know, it, it goes where it needs to go and wants to go in many ways. There's a freedom there or kind of found sound music and all of that stuff, but there's a purpose to it as well. Uh, so, you know, and again, like I said, Beck's career is a great example of that. And this album, Golden Feelings from 93, was the sandbox phase of his career compelling, containing elements of his future work, but not strictly for entertaining listening. And had he stayed here, I don't think many people would have known him other than as a kind of an avant-garde person. And I don't know that I would have become interested because, you know, what's what's what I think is fun about experimenting in some ways is that it's what I'd call ducking the difficulty, which is you're purposely not honing what you're doing. You're letting it fly. And being the diligent, you know, artist that Beck is and and craftsman, he eventually worked to hone it. But there is a point at which experimentation becomes kind of like, I'm not even sure, you know, I'm working at this point. So it, you know, but, but it makes for an interesting listen. And I also love that cool lo-fi vibe sound with, uh, you know, sound and vibe, which uh, reminds me of contemporaries of the era, especially the whole Elephant Six Collective. And they pop up a few times in here. And I think there's there is a, some similar influences there and similar purposes in terms of allowing some mistakes and imperfections and impurities to infiltrate the recording and even the compositional process. Uh, Beck was right along that line. And of the 17 tracks, Heartland Feeling 
right after the intro of that song is the most like an actual song. But I also like Super Golden Black Sun Child, Totally Confused, Motherfucker. And, uh, and I like a lot of the lyrics throughout the album, too. I love where you can already see and hear he was, he was trying to, you know, search out lyrics that were more interesting than the standard lyrics. And what's what I find uh, in terms of comparison that's where I think the beginning of he and I sort of differed. I think we sort of went in opposite directions to achieve some similar purposes. Uh, but I don't think there's one track on here where his voice isn't modulated downward. It was almost like he was in disguise. Uh, then he released an EP, A Western Harvest Field by Moonlight in 1994. Um, the only thing I'll mention about that is that the last track was called A Locked Groove Sound Loop, where if you put it on the vinyl, it would re- repeat back to the beginning of that track and it would just continue on you know, infinitely, really, until you know, I guess you shut off the power. Uh, and then 94, he released an album, Stereopath- Stereopathetic Soul Manor, again an indie release, and again another collection of experiments, but he already was starting to add new sounds to the stuff he was doing, which is so key because he does that throughout his career, and I think it's just vitally important to me that all artists do that, unless you're an artist whose who's one thing is so freaking strong that there is no reason, like a John Prine or whatever, uh, you know, just stay where you are and just do your thing, right? But for most artists, and I mean even artists I absolutely love and have loved, to get, having an ear to the, gr- to the ground, whether it's for stuff that's out now or stuff you never heard before that's older, and adding some elements to things that might enhance what you're doing, I think is just vital. It's something I do all the time. Uh, pink noise from that album is noise rock already different from the first album uh and rowboat folk but more straight up folk thunder peel is indie rock and sounds more like some of his later stuff and um most of its time uh, uh, so far i don't know what that meant uh, that's a note that i put down here oh the spirit moves me and crystal clear beer is where he was headed lyrically and stylistically but it's funny how the noise one snippet was like the production that he then then impose onto that style so if you take the stuff he did into the spirit moves me and crystal clear beer and then add the noise one production to it, you kind of get Odelay in, in, a, in a way. I also like putting it down. Uh, Satan gave me a taco to me is like a kind of a cousin to the violent femmes. Modesto is so nice. And like I was saying, his start was in the experimental leading towards creating structural you know songs but with with elements of that weirdness and 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 uh, uniqueness and experimentation in there and even though i did from very early on do things that were weird and experimental or off the beaten path or what you wouldn't think would be in my uh my wheelhouse at the time and one of those songs i'm going to play in the uh, bonus video on patreon I really started out more wanting to write cohesive songs and then started to add in the experimentation and branching out later on. So even though, again, there was a point at which we kind of crossed and were achieving a similar purpose and then maybe diverged again in some ways. Anyway, we we crossed because we were coming at it with similar influences, but with different different initial objectives and just in a different uh, direction. So now we get to a CD I own, Mellow Gold from 94. It was this huge breakout. He takes elements of the first two albums, but it's more straightforward and it's funkier. And of course, Loser it was the big hit. Loser was like his creep, like Radiohead's creep in that 
is a huge hit. And then there was an immediate pivot to something different, which excellent idea, I think, because if you, even if you, let's say you had a second hit that was very similar, all of a sudden, all people think about is that's what you sound like. But if you immediately push away from that, you know, people are like, oh, this is an artist that's going to go all over the place or in, in a couple different directions. Now, you know, even though it might be jarring at first, you'll come to accept it eventually if the work is good. Soul sucking jerk. Yes. Uh, it's like uh, it's like the flip side of the band Arrested Development. If you remember that band from the 90s, uh, Soul Sucking Jerk kind of sounds like a, akin to that. Beer Can, Nightmare Hippie Girl, Black Hole is very nice and sea changey. Those are some of my favorites. He then put out One Foot in the Grave, which I think was an indie release. Or no, it might have been stuff he had recorded before but hadn't released uh yeah and and so he reluctantly released it and i don't think anybody really remembers it but in some ways it's the most straightforward and normal thing that he released to that point just acoustic folk and anti-folk and freak folk and and all that kind of thing but with no no experimentation or anything else you know so then that may be why he was uncomfortable with it because he wasn't hiding behind the weird voices and the weird production and all of that there were a few folk covers which had a religious bent but he had rewritten and lots of kind of uh, lyrical exploration that i think served him well developmentally and again reminds me so much of elephant six and other things from the late 80s and early 90s, and even a little bit of the Dead Milkman. Uh, I like from that, Cyanide Breath Mint, Asshole, I've seen The Lamb Beyond, Outcome, Teenage Wastebasket, both versions, Piss in the Door and Feather in Your Cap. And I think now is a good time to take a break uh, before we get to what you hopefully know is coming next, which is Odelay. So I'm going to take a pause right here, and uh, we'll be back in a second. Hey, so I was going to do the usual and just list all of the links that I'd love for you to check out, but I realized that everything you need to know and everywhere you need to go is at nickdematio.com. That really is the hub. I list all the links in every episode just in case, but nickdematio.com is where I put everything that I do. If you want to know more about this podcast, whether it's the audio version or the YouTube version at youtube.com slash at music is not a genre or wherever else the podcast shows up, or if you want to support the podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre, just go to nickdematio.com. It's all there. If you want to check out my full discography of original music and covers, for my band Rec, R-E-C, and beyond. It's at nickdematio.com, including all the streaming and social links for wherever you listen to music and wherever you check out your social. Uh, my acting clips are there. My voiceover clips are there. Graphic design, my blog, and most especially, it's the best place to contact me. If you go to nickdematio.com slash contact or just hit the contact is on every single page, you can send me a note, say hello, ask me any questions you'd like. You get a newsletter a few times a month and... If you have a project of your own and need work done for it, whether it's audio editing or music or voiceover or graphic design, or if you have an event and you need live music, go to nickdomadio.com, contact me, say hello, let me know what you need. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. Hey, I'm back. I'm taking a sip of water. Did you like that special thing that I'm adding in there now? I know I asked that before and now I know actually what it is. But it may not be here forever. So I'm just curious if you like that, the, you know, the, the kind of pitch commercial in the middle there as opposed to things I've done before. Let me know. And let's get back to Beck. And let's get back to this one right here I'm pointing at. Odele, which was his 
really was his big breakthrough. It was more cohesive. It was more concise. There were still many elements of the earlier albums, but it leans more towards actual, you know, like cohesive songs. And it was really the Dust Brothers, you know, that, that added what was, I think, needed to revive and refresh what he was doing, along with the experimentation he did in between those two albums. It It's funky. It's glitchy. And this is where the Beck I know and have been compared to, really, was born in full. I mean, not that he, again, wouldn't add more to his sound, because he always does, but the bass and the basics were solidified here. This is, you know... The people might not say it's his best album anymore because he's done so many other good albums and I actually have a favorite that you might be surprised by but it's it's still the nearest and dearest to my heart because of the changes it made even within me that wouldn't necessarily take shape for years uh, it's those solid songs with kind of the glitch weird overlay and the unexpected elements and changes that mesh what, with what I do so the, the idea of the song itself works, whether there's stuff on top of it or under it or not, but then you're going to go ahead and add those other things to the sound that you're doing. This to me is, is Paul's boutique. You know, think of the Beastie Boys, you know, reinventing themselves with, again, the Dust Brothers. Uh, that's exactly what happened here with Odelay. Of course, he had three albums under his belt instead of just the one like the Beastie Boys, but it's glitchy, kitschy, funky, glitchy, kitschy, funky. Glitchy, kitschy, funky. Remember that. And uh, that's what the Dust Brothers have done for a lot of people. And they're still genre hopping. You've got folk and funk and pop and hip-hop and techno and DJ retro, you know, post-punk, like the song Minus. And there are no weak songs. But my favorites, Devil's Haircut, for sure. And please keep in mind that that's on the bonus video at patreon.com slash music is not a genre. I'm doing an acoustic version of devil's haircut along with an original. Uh, and Lord only knows. I love that song. He still hear it. And then the new pollution is another great one. And you will be able to hear the featured song at the end of this video is Rex sparkle shine shine from the sunshine seminar sparkle shine shine is probably the most uh i would say the new pollution is the most like sparkle shine shine than any other beck song and that's why i chose it of course uh jackass where it's at and sissy neck also amazing songs and you can do an entire episode on just odalay you can do i mean people do entire episodes on just one album of a bunch of artists but that's not how i roll so we're going to move to mutations which i'm pointing to for those of you who can see me 1998 he said i loved what i did on odalay but now i want to go in sort of a a a folkier kind of simpler let's say simpler direction i'm going to ask nigel godrich who produced Radiohead, to work with me. And it is an incredibly strong album. And to me, if you'd been following Beck all those years, you shouldn't have been surprised by Sea Change if you heard Mutations. You know, yes, they're different, but they're not so different. It just shows he had that kind of ambient, mellower, softer sound in him all along. Some great songs, Cold Brains, Nobody's Fault But My Own, Canceled Check, we Live Again, Tropicalia, what a fun song, but still kind of laid back. Oh, Maria and Diamond Bollocks, which leads me to an oddity. 1999's Midnight Vultures, What Do You See? Back to the Dust Brothers. There it is with the neon right there. 
you know, always cool art, especially the further along he went, the cooler the art. And that's that visual art background and the interest in wanting the art to be cool, you know, and he did things in the 2000s that online that we even took that even further, you know. Uh, So this leans again, way more funk and techno and hip hop, but even more so than Odele. It gets it. It's I would say even less of the folkiness here. And it owes a huge debt to Prince. When I listened to this at first, I thought to myself, oh, he's just, he loves Prince and he just wants to do stuff like Prince. He wants to do that kind of soul funk, R&B, techno, electro kind of thing. And I remember thinking to myself, I love this album, but I'm also kind of mad at it. Like even even more than Odele, because Odele was such a shocker. I was like, oh my God, people, more people need to do this, including me. But with, with this, with Midnight Vultures, I thought to myself, okay, finally, you're knocking me over the head. I need to add some new things to my sound and go in a different direction. But I wasn't there yet at the time. And at the same time, I was like, I know I've got it in me to do what he's doing on Midnight Vultures but in, in in even like leaning even more in that direction, I will say, partly because my voice lends itself more to that type of music even than Beck's does. But of course, Beck, that's what makes Beck Beck is that his voice is always there no matter what. And yet he still is able to use it in ways that, that are malleable, which I love. But I'm going to claim that that kind of music and the one of the reasons why I pick uh, the original that I'm doing on the Patreon video, uh, Voices in My Head is A, because it's an earlier track of mine that shows that I was already branching out into things that he would eventually branch out into a few years later, but also because you can hear that my voice, it it, it can lend itself more to the kind of stuff that's on Midnight Vultures than even his voice does. Um, I have to say I was really, really into the production and variety of the songs on this album, but not as much on the, the songs themselves and I can't tell you why. I don't know. I still enjoy the album. But the songs themselves just didn't stick to me the way things on Odele did and on later albums. But I did love Sex Laws, Nicotine and Gravy, Mixed Business, Hollywood Freaks, Peaches and Cream, Broken Train, Milk and Honey, and Deborah. And some of those still stick in my head, to be honest, even, you know, even after all these years. In 2000, he put out a B-Sides collection called uh, Stray Blues, stuff released only in Japan. Can't find it streaming right now. Uh, then in 01, he put out Beck.com B-Sides, uh, 2001. And it was in that era where it was pre-streaming, but MP3s and music online had already been a big thing for a couple of years. And so it wasn't quite post-CD, but people were starting to you know collect stuff digitally. And artists of the time would make certain uh, exclusive or specially releases available only on their website and not in CD form, and that's what this was, Beck.com B-Sides. A lot of remixes on this, and it's something he would uh, revisit several times in his career, just the idea of remixing, which of course he would, because some of his music is remixy already, which leads to what was considered a comeback at the time, six years after Odele, and several albums in between, Sea Change, boom, there it is, right there on the end of my diorama. It's not the last one I have, it's the last one standing. And honestly, at the time, especially after Midnight Vultures, I thought, oh, there's nothing Beck can do that will surprise me anymore. And then he did. And I love 
how much he leaned into that kind of downbeat, you know, even more down than Mazzy Star, you know, sound, uh, which is stuff I've done on songs like Final Call from Sympathy for the Weird and Sunburn from the Sunshine Seminar. And some of that I get from him and some of that I get from influences that we just happen to share. And and when you listen to this album, it's beauty and melancholy all wrapped up together. And yet, you know, other uh, podcasters and people might talk about the stuff going on in his personal life at the time. And you may know that and you can look it up, you know, why see change happened or why people say it happened. It's simpler. It's more lyrically straightforward. It's more confessional. It's very uh, Wilco of the period. Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I think. Uh, some of the songs I love, The Golden Age. Guess I'm doing fine. I freaking absolutely adore Lonesome Tears, Lost Cause, End of the Day. Again, I love it. And it's all in your mind and already dead and Sunday Sun. I just love, love all of those and Little One as well, which leads me to a kind of a double uh, whammy in 05 which I wasn't interested in at the time. Uh, and I don't remember why. Garo and Gerolito. Uh, I believe Garo means kind of like white boy or blonde, you know, or, you know, Caucasian in the Latinx community. And since he kind of grew up with that, that was his way of saying, I'm going to do a kind of music, but, uh, you know, I'm going to point out the fact that I am just this white dude. Uh, again, working with the Dust Brothers. So he's this back and forth, you know, Nigel Godrich on uh, mutations dust brothers on uh midnight vultures nigel godrich on sea change dust brothers on garrow and uh you know gary lee too is a little different uh which i love that you know uh i i heard it for the first time last week even though it's whatever almost 20 years old and what i find interesting is you can hear beck's influences kind of melting together more kind of converging and being more amalgamated and I love the disjointedness of it not being amalgamated like on the previous albums, Old Delay and even Midnight Vultures, but to hear it kind of gelling as, oh, we can, how how do these come together? It was really interesting, especially since it was the first time I had heard it. Uh, E-Pro was the big hit from that, and I sort of remember it. Uh, Girl, freaking love that song. There's a little bit of 8-bit in there, which I believe the 8-bit community and he kind of uh, crossed over a little, a little bit at that time. Missing Black Tambourine, yes, please. Hell yes. Uh, yes, Scarecrow. And Rental Car, some other ones that I really enjoy from that, which brings me to the last CD that I own of his. And uh, not that I've heard, but that I own. And uh, that is the information, which is laying down here. So I'm going to show you. I personalized it at some point. And took the sticker collection that he had in there and just put it all over, which was apparently what you were supposed to do. Let's just say that. And I think there was also an online thing where you could kind of uh, cut and paste the music, maybe. I I can't fully remember. Interesting, though, that yes, he went from the Dust Brothers and Garrow. And Garolito was a remix album of Garrow and some uh, new things. Uh, But for the information, he went back to Nigel Godrich. But... Nigel Godrich was like, I don't want to just do what we did before. I want to, you know, he didn't say it this way, but I want to mix in some Dust Brother type elements. So let's do that. And this is even more amalgamated, uh, you know, Beck wise and music wise than anything he had ever done. And I think the information is the album where he found the fullness of his sound. It is the most fully realized 
Beck in terms of his individual sound. And I think if looking back on his career, I'd say that this is my favorite album of his in terms of a cohesive album, a full album. There are songs I like better on other albums like on Odelay or like on even Sea Change and, and even some songs and albums that came after the information. But as far as a complete album, I don't think there's a weak track on here. I enjoy listening to the entire thing. I mean, they all just work for me. Uh, Elevator music, think I'm in love, cell phones, dead, strange apparition. I was going to list all the, all. then I was like, oh, they're all ones that I absolutely love. It's not that he wouldn't add more sounds to his future. I keep saying that because it's important to stress. But as far as if you, if to me, if you want to know, like, what does Beck sound like? What defines Beck as an artist? You go to the information. Uh, ironically that that's the name uh, and the song new round uh, sounds like a death cab for cutie song and they were pretty you know big in that era as well so that was the last cd as i bought and again not the last album i would listen to but i actually took a kind of uh, almost 15 year break of listening to his new music and um i or more like a 13 year break i wish i could tell you why people move on but i'm glad i've caught up let's just say that uh, so in 2008, he had been wanting to work with Danger Mouse for a while, and he did on Modern Guilt. And the first time I heard this was last week. And to me, it's actually kind of a perfect team of artist and producer. They do similar things. And while Danger Mouse, you know, uh, his production for me doesn't work with every artist he works with. When he finds artists that have, uh, uh, you know, I don't even want to say a similar aesthetic, but want to, you know, that, but the way the, the artist and Danger Mouse come together are complementary, it works incredibly well. And I think that happens on Modern Guilt. It's also the closest Beck has come to just a straight up alt rock album. And hey, after the information, why not go somewhere else? Some of the songs I like Orphans, Gamma Ray, Chemtrails, Youthless, Replica uh, has a glitchy beat which of course it's Beck. There's a song of mine from Syncope for the Weird called uh, The Power of Repetition Everlasting, which has that kind of a feel to it. There also Love in Stockholm from Distance to Empty has that kind of glitchy beat feel too. And yet, remember, I, didn't, I hadn't heard this album until a few days ago. So that just shows how some of our influences have just crossed over you know, through the years. And then uh, he took kind of an album break after 08. Uh, in the interim, in 09 to 2013, which is really his longest album break thus far, he did a lot of singles and collaborations, and it showed how well he can collaborate with a diverse array of artists, something he continues to do to this day, and I'll get to that when I get to the end of this discography. Uh, there's Heaven Can Wait in 09 with Charlotte Gainsbourg. There's Let's Get Lost with Bat for Lashes in 2011, which is different from that one. It's from the Twilight Film soundtrack, Looking for a Sign in 2012. Uh, from the Jeff Who Lives at Home soundtrack. I just started hating some people today as folk in 2012. Defriended 2013 is glitchy psychedelic. And psychedelic is something he did a lot of too. There's also a 14-minute version of that song. I Won't Be Long from 2013. Uh, the Gimme from 2013, which bring which is ambient, which brings us to the next so-called comeback, 2014's Morning Phase, which he considers and the world considers a companion to sea change. I mean, got a lot of awards. It was the first self-produced album of his. 
I think the first two might have been, but I'm not sure. But other than that, after Mellow Gold, let's say, same musicians as Sea Change, but Nigel Godrich was, you know, not the producer because Beck was. It's equally beautiful. It's not as fully downbeat as Sea Change. Uh, I didn't hear it then. I might have heard a song or two, but again, I wasn't doing Beck for a a few years. Um, But it's become a new favorite album, like maybe second or third favorite album of his. Morning, Heart as a Drum, Say Goodbye, Blue Moon, Turn Away. Turn Away is like Fleet Foxes, and Fleet Foxes were around, around then too, which makes sense. Colors in 2017, as has become typical, he pivoted from that kind of uh, straightforward uh, mellow sound to a uh, more fully produced and funky sound on colors. And again, I didn't hear this at the time, but damn, I wish I had. Some of my new favorite songs are on this album. It's the closest to a just a straight up pop record that he has ever done. It's a mix of retro and modern that can't easily be defined. And, and and that's where I like to live often, take take some old ideas and new ideas and put together. And it sort of has a reminiscence of maybe 80s or 90s or something else. But it's not quite that because it's all put together like that. It's, it's again, you know, we have that sort of feel to us, even though uh, what results in that, you know, sounds somewhat different and has different emphases. Uh, Colors, excellent song. Seventh Heaven. Is like a weekend song, but I prefer it. Uh, I'm So Free. Dear Life is the closest he had come to sounding like the Beatles, really. And honestly, I like all the tracks. And like I said, it's probably top three for me. And then in 2019, he put out an EP, which I just had a few songs, uh, Paisley Park Sessions, which was the first, he was the first artist to record at Paisley Park after Prince's death. So I think that's notable. In 2019, that's when I tuned back in. He put out an album called Hyperspace. And I remember listening to this in in our old apartment. I was like, oh my God, Beck put out a new album. And I loved the cover. Uh, It's a Pharrell Williams collaboration. It's co-production. It's another album where he's meshing a lot of his influences. So you could almost say the colors, even though it wasn't downbeat was kind of straightforward in its own pop way and hyperspace has more that kind of meshing there's lots of techno on there which is something he had done a lot on in 2017 as well what i like about colors and i think there was something about a breakup with his wife or something i mean not colors i'm sorry what i like about hyperspace whatever was going on in his life at the time is it shows that it's possible for an artist to be introspective and even melancholy without the music being acoustic. I love that. I love acoustic down. You ever see change morning phase? That's great. Other artists who have done that, Elliot Smith, but man, there are songs that you wouldn't initially think have that content to them that sound like pop songs or electro songs or, or rock songs or something upbeat about them in the way the Smiths used to combine upbeat music with downbeat lyrics. That's to me what hyperspace did is it showed something that I like to constantly prove, which is you don't always need to have music that is quote unquote introspective sounding for the music itself to be introspective. Again, I like it all, but I just think anybody who thinks, oh, that's an acoustic, there are a lot of acoustic introspective sounding songs that to me don't have a lot of substance, but they give the, they give the impression of an illusion of substance because that's how they sound. It's not as poppy an album hyperspace as colors was, but it's a great companion to it. And I love the production. Some of my favorites, uneventful days, saw lightning, die waiting, see through stratosphere, dark places and star. 
And then post 2019, he's done some more singles and collaborations. Uh, no Distraction was a Colors remix by Karangbin in 2020. Uh, honestly, it sounds like bands that have come out in the last 10 years, which I kind of love. Find My Way was the McCartney song that he did the redo of and worked with McCartney on in 2021. I wanted to like this a lot. I liked it. But I loved, love, love the video. Uh, in 2022, he put out a cover of the Neil Young song, Old Man, which was pretty straightforward and beautiful. And he also put a, a song with uh, the artist Johnny in 2022 called Take It Back, which is not listed on Wiki for some reason. And I freaking love this song. This is like old Beck, but new sound, like just everything about it. Uh, and then it, this year, he puts out a single called Thinking About You, which I thought was a cover at first because of the old man thing. And people are saying, oh my God, another sea change or morning phase album is coming because it's very acoustic and it's beautiful and it's introspective. And I freaking love that song. I absolutely love it. But I predict the next album isn't going to be just that because he then collaborates uh, again just a month or two ago with the band Phoenix on a song called Odyssey which has the Phoenix sound, the Beck aesthetic all, all put together. Both of them are singing and, and it, it just shows again to me that I don't, I think his album that it's supposedly coming is going to be more of a mix than just straight up acoustic, or maybe he'll put two albums out that are completely different. Who, who knows? Right. And then he put out uh, something with the Chemical Brothers, a few singles, and the one I like a lot is uh, "Skipping Like a Stone." Um, it's it's really 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 new. I would I would consider listening to it, and I would consider listening to all this stuff. But again, would recommend. And here's my conclusion section because that's it for his discography. We're up to date until the new album comes out. If it's coming out, which I think it will be by at least next year, I would say I would recommend the information and morning phase. Sea Change and Odelay as absolutes. I'd recommend Colors if you want to see how pop he can go and pick another one and recommend that too. Mutations, whatever. There's just so many good ones, but those would be my top, let's say, five. Uh, I think even though Beck has won awards and been around forever, he's still largely unappreciated, and it's partly because he he he's so varied that it takes that looking back on the career the way people have done with Bowie to really see, oh my God, the guy is genius in in his ability to uh, take something and make it a part of his sound or go completely in that direction or whatever. And I love that he still has as much fervor and fire in him to create the music he's creating. And again, not relying on old sounds and old tropes to this day. He's had smash hits or critical acclaim in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s. And I think he's going to work up to that again because I think people are going to come around to this. He's going to come back into the spotlight. I think people overlook that he's actually an excellent acoustic guitarist. They think of Odelay and and the silliness of stuff like Loser. But his guitar work is, is I love it. It's odd, but it's odd in a in a sort of an Andy DeFranco way, which is you don't need to be this in, in, incredible, you know, like uh, virtuoso finger picker to do incredible work on the acoustic guitar. Again, I think the comparison here is that he was committed more to weird than I was, and but then I came around to weird and started to add that more to my sound. 
And, and so even though that's why we're sort of mirror images of each other in that he came to pop in sort of a stealth way, let me get structural. Let me make like pop songs that can fly, uh, on the radio and whatever, but still add and continue to include the experimental parts of things that he had done most of his career prior to that. And I was the opposite where I started writing pop songs when I was freaking 11 years old or whatever, and slowly crept in other sounds and styles and much more slowly crept in the experimentation, you know? Uh, so, and, and, and a great example of me kind of going in different directions very early on is a song that's going to be on the bonus video. Like I said, I'm going to do acoustic versions of Beck's devil's haircut and an old song of mine called voices in my head. Uh, and, and yeah, I've always been committed to creating cohesive songs, but not, not just exclusively. There are plenty of things I've done that have been more experimental, but it's again, it's the balance. You'd see why we'd be compared, but you can see how the balance being different and our voices being different you would have to know both of us to really, you know, understand why so many critics have compared Wreck to Beck. I think we're like alternate universe versions of each other. Which brings me to the last part of this episode, as always, which is the featured song, which is from the Sunshine Seminar, and it's called Sparkle Shine Shine. I was compared to Beck long before this song came out, but then I did this song and I was like, oh crap, I wasn't even thinking of Beck, but my God, yeah, I totally get it. And it's the one that sounds like the new pollution. It shows how similar our influence and approaches have become, even from different directions. I did a song like this on a demo almost 20 years before I did this song that was never released. It may be released someday. And and I forget the name of it, but it was the same kind of like retro rock sound, but with a funky uh, edge to it and, and funky production and a new style to it that that you will hear in Sparkle Shine Shine in just a couple of minutes. It has a twangy lead guitar. It has a funky beat. It has, we- beat. It has weird lyrics sung oddly. It has some psychedelic stuff to it. It has a stop-start glitchiness to it, all of which are hallmarks of Beck's work and some of Rex's work. So you can see on the surface, it comes across as very happy. And I think people can interpret it that way. And that's a wonderful thing, you know, kind of being in the moment blissfully. But my intention of writing when I was writing it was being so blind to reality that all you can see that you're basically blinded by the positivity of the sun at the expense of actually knowing what's going on in the real world. But hey, interpret it however you want. I had a video idea of this where people were in a circle dancing, smiling and wearing big glasses with oversized eyes that were shut, like fake eyes that were shut. Uh, but the video I did make, which uh, uses some fun public domain cartoons, is the one that you're going to see if you're watching this. Otherwise, listening, you're going to hear the song Sparkle Shine Shine. Uh, and that's what's coming in just a couple of minutes. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it gave you some things to think about. I hope you go back and listen to Beck. I hope you stick around and listen to this featured song. I hope you go to patreon.com slash music is not a genre and check out the bonus video that I haven't done yet, but I'm going to do soon. And thank you as always for watching and listening. My objectives here are music, conversation and connection, and I'll talk to you next week.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.